Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, it's time for Foreplay. I'm Lori Watson, sex therapist and author of Wanting Sex Again. And I'm here with my co-host, psychotherapist Tony Delmedico. We are here to talk about all things sexual and intimate and help you get the most out of your sex life. You can check us out on the web at foreplayrst.com. Visit us and send us an email if you like. That's right. We'd love to hear from you. Sex Talk with Laurie and Tony. Laurie, today, where is foreplay going to lead us? So, Tony, today, let's talk about how couples can really talk about sex. How do they do it? Because it, it can be such an awkward thing to talk about. It seems so simple on the surface. Can't you just go home and talk about it? People come and pay you hundreds and thousands of dollars to help them. (laughs) Don't Um, overestimate. (laughs) Hundreds hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To come in and break down the walls of of these barriers of of being able to just say what feels good and what doesn't. So I think the the conversation while we're starting on the surface, I think it's really thick really quickly. I think it's a lot harder to talk about sex than any of us – um, really imagine or, or, or lend credit to. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed just just as co-hosts and, and co-therapists, I mean, there's some, as we've started this podcast, I mean, there's been moments of awkwardness and trying to, you know, what do I say? How do I say it? How do we talk about this in a way that's helpful? You're a man. I'm a woman. I mean, there's even awkwardness here sometimes. You without, know, as we're without, learning, yeah, I mean, without any vulnerability, it's right, awkward. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, it, it's such a tough subject to talk about, um, whether you're talking about it professionally. And I think there's a lot of fear for people to come in and talk about it with a sex therapist. That sounds so scary. You know, oh my gosh, you know, what is, what is that going to be like? And what is that person going to suggest? And, and I think it's a conversation we never ever have with hardly anyone, oftentimes not even our partner much less a, a helping person. Right. Well, and, and the fear is that you're exactly right. If, if, if you've been in the relationship as the one that's not doing something right, there's a fear that now that's going to be two against one, that my exactly. partner is actually right and I'm in the wrong, or an admission that, hey, we don't know what we're doing here and we need some help. So, or, or the fear that I'm going to be showing up as I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sexually inadequate and, and I've been inadequate for so long. I mean – there, it's real terror, I think, yeah. especially in a long-term relationship to start to talk about something that maybe never got off the ground in terms of, you know, this was a regular part of our sex life, a review or, you know, a debrief or, or some way to have regular conversation. Yeah. You know, some people just get in bed and do it. 
They do. <laughs> That's and it. Most of us try not to talk about what we're doing, and we're just hoping that it all goes well. And as you were talking, I was thinking about in so many of our other episodes, we've talked about where we've learned what we learn. Mm-hmm. So we either learn it from our family. We either learn it from the culture. And I'm trying to rack my brain in terms of movies or incidences where you've seen two adults sitting and talking about what they like and don't like in bed in a movie. And I don't think I've ever heard that conversation mirrored back. I certainly didn't see it in my family. Yeah. But the yeah. culture doesn't say this is how we talk about sex. Right. This is I how th- we have a sex talk. And you know, and I think one of the things that can trigger if you sit down and try to have a talk about sex with your partner is some of us had the awkward moments as teenagers where our parents came in, a parent or both, and tried to sit down and have the birds and bees talk. With yeah, us. The, and how the one talk. That was. Yeah, right. the one, the one, the talk. one and only talk. And yeah. I, and I think maybe as couples listening to the show today, um, to try to take some pressure off of that, maybe get the idea of having the talk out of your mind, and just beginning to have an ongoing dialogue. Mm-hmm. About mm-hmm. things, so you just open it up, and the ability to have a conversation back and forth is just as simple as, "Hey, I like the eggs a little more done today versus right. a little runnier." So, and there's not a lot of shame or fear in those barriers. Even if you break down the wall once and have the conversation, we can very quickly build the wall back up. And as a couple trying to figure out a way just to have this nice, easy flow around, "Hey, that mm-hmm. that was different last night. That felt really nice." Or, "Oh, you know." Mm-hmm. Don't do that again. That didn't. I, you know, I went there once, and I might try it again, but that was a little too much. And mm-hmm. and not having that be shaming, but just informational. You know? Yeah, I, I think oftentimes I find in couples that one of the partners is more willing to have this conversation than the other. You know, the person who I call the sexual pursuer, maybe who feels easier about sex, less inhibited, wants more sex, perhaps. They're often wanting to discover what their partner likes and doesn't like. Like, tell me, tell me your fantasies. Tell me the touch that I should do that turns you on forever. He's you know, the, they, he's <laughs> the, he or she is the agenda-driven one is what you're saying. Usually, yeah, usually. And, yeah. and I would say for the person who is the sexual distancer, the person who maybe likes sex but um, doesn't necessarily want it as intense or as often or has you know more reservation about it, Sometimes these conversations feel like, oh, again, we got to talk about it. Can't we just do it? And you feel like you enjoy it and kind of give me a thumbs up. It was great. I was sexy. Done. You know, and then let's move on and go about our week or whatever. And I mean, that person, I think, sometimes feels that if, if I have to talk about it, especially if it, if it's a woman who is the one who is more reserved and she has to talk about it at a time that she's not aroused. It can just, I mean, it feels invasive to her psyche. You know, during a time that she's not aroused, bringing back up the subject, like you you just talked about it. And I think for you, it's very natural. But kind of the breakfast debrief, you know, let, let's talk about what happened last night. Oftentimes for these women, I think, you know, it just feels like too much. They have lost the moment. They've moved on. And then for him, oftentimes... And I hate to be stereotypical because sometimes it is uh, gender reversed. Uh, but for the person who is more sexually pursuant, um, you know, talking about it is sexy. <laughs> it can be fun. And and they learn something and they really do want to please their partner. But um, sometimes it can feel critical. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, I, wasn't it good enough? Why do we have to talk about it? Right. So and, and I think that gets to how do we have a sex talk as a yeah. couple? How yeah. do couples have a sex talk? And I think the first question we, we very quickly come to is timing. 
So, Lori, mm-hmm. when do you recommend couples have a talk about sex? Is it during? Is it in the heat of the moment? Is it the next day? Is it over dinner a week later? I mean, how do couples begin to approach the barrier that's mm-hmm. between them? What do you recommend? Well, I think we have to take the temperature on the relationship. You know, if sex is a hot spot and you fight a lot about it, um, then you you have to know that talking about it is going to be loaded up. You know, right. so so giving your partner a heads up, hey, I'd love to take you out for coffee on Saturday afternoon, and I really do want to talk about our sex life. This is my agenda. I want to know how to make it better for you. Um, and I want to know, I know that this is a dicey conversation. You know, let's go to the safest place. Maybe it's at the park, you know, have a picnic there. Or maybe it is, you know, in a coffee shop where there's all this noise and you know your partner isn't going to get angry at you. So that feels safer. So I, I think first take the temperature on the coupleship and second set up a situation, a scenario, if your partner might be reluctant so that there's a win. So you're really saying avoid the ambush. Yeah. Right. This is not a yeah. setup for us to have another sex talk. and that, that, Or have an argument. Yeah. In other sessions, we've talked about treating the relationship as a third thing. And this is another way that you can nurture the relationship. Hey, for the sake of our relationship, I'd like to try and have a conversation about sex. And when would be a good time to do that? And, and, the, and that brings us to the next point, which is I'm hoping that when we have this conversation, you don't feel attacked or I don't get defensive Mm-hmm. Or it becomes a very unproductive thing. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons we tend to avoid it is oh, out of yeah. fear. Absolutely. Know? People say, you know, I, I'm married or I'm in committed partnership. You know, I have to be honest. And I'm like, no, actually, that is the last place you want to be brutally honest. You want to be tactful, especially with sex. I mean, to me, think think twice and then think again about how you're going to talk to your partner about issues between you sexually because I think our sexual egos are so fragile, all of us. I mean, how we look, our attractiveness, how we perform sexually, that is is the diciest area of our life. And so I think please, please use as much tact as possible. And there's tremendous insecurity too. If one of you has had previous partners or both of you have, there's always this – the ego always wants to measure – you know, have you been with somebody better than me? Am I adequate enough? You know, right, in, there, all, in all areas. Yeah, Am this I pleasing conver- you enough? Why yes. are you really with me? Yeah, you I know. mean, this conversation is fraught with anxiety for us. The comparative element. I mean, I also think people are anxious about if I if I let my partner in on what's in my head, in my fantasies, they're going to think I'm perverted. You know, right. or, and I think the social pressure, as we talk about over and over for women, they're going to think I'm sexual. You know, and as a woman, I'm not supposed to be sexual. I'm not supposed to want. And so if I let my partner hear all this of what goes on in my head and what I really do want, that's just frightening, a a double message of fright, you know, to my partner and then just the exposure as a woman who's a true sexual being. Yeah. So so it's risky. I mean, we're we're talking today about, hey, let's get together and have a a sex talk um, or an ongoing conversation about sex. But it's risky, and now we're starting to talk about some of the risks that come forward. So we have egos that can be damaged. Um, I think very quickly you begin to unearth a lot of unexamined and unwritten rules that maybe were given to us from the time that we were little about sex. Right, our whether, childhood influence. Yeah, whether they're religious beliefs or what we were taught about our own body parts, whether that we were taught to explore them or stay away from them or respect them or neglect them. So, And, and very quickly that opens up um, a lot of space between a couple. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that sense of what's normal often comes up and people use that in an argument. It's normal and suddenly this conversation becomes 
you know, um, something that we're trying to justify what we think the sex life ought to be. And people throw, you know, bring in the third party. Well, you know, my other partner did it this way and was better than that. And I never had uh, any trouble with him or with her. Or, that gets back to tact versus honesty. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes. <laughs> it's probably yes. not going to be helpful in the conversation. <laughs> right. Well, let's come back to this and talk some more about how we talk about sex and how we can make it more comfortable as a couple to talk about it. Great. This is Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with psychotherapist Tony Del Medico and sex therapist Lori Watson. We'll be right back. Wanting Sex Again How to Rediscover Desire and Heal a Sexless Marriage by Certified Sex Therapist Lori Watson. Each chapter is designed to fix one of the problems that cause low libido from early marriage through the childbearing years, even all the way through menopause. I've also had men read it and tell me that for them, it was the most hopeful thing they read about resolving sexual problems. Look for Wanting Sex Again on Amazon.com. You can also talk to Lori Watson for therapy in person or via Skype. I offer couples counseling and sex therapy, and I think about both aspects of the relationship, emotional intimacy and sexual technique and that combination together helps marriages be happy improve your sex and improve your relationship with awakening center for couples and intimacy find out more at awakenloveandsex.com and sign up for their next couples retreat weekend hosted by Lori watson awakenloveandsex.com awaken what's possible welcome back to foreplay with sex therapist and author Lori Watson and psychotherapist Tony Del Medico. Today we are talking about how to have sex talk with your partner, Lori. And um, the first half of the show, I think we both agree that it's a lot tougher um, than most people give credit for. So I'm glad we're taking the time to talk about this today. One of the things that came up in thinking of, over the break was some of the perils and pitfalls of having the talk. So right. you're, you're uncovering old old wounds. Um, sometimes with a couple, you may actually be uncovering old trauma. That so can I, happen too. So I think, Absolutely. So I think with partners, being aware that having this conversation may be very, very tender ground um, that mm-hmm. you may be bringing up. And at some point, if that old wounding is traumatic, uh, if there's rape, if there's child molestation, um, you might be helping your partner or the both of you get some counseling around yeah. that. So, right. um, but, but again, all of this, I think, is in service of – a healthy relationship and bringing you closer together. And yeah. oftentimes if we're avoiding those things, um, they can sit in the corner and fester. So I think better to have the conversations sooner rather than later. And like we don't want it to be our the childhood talk where it's a once and done. We want this to be an ongoing conversation. I, I would also suggest, you know, sometimes maybe don't have, you know, three things to talk about. Talk about one tiny part of it in a way that's safe. You know, also bring up the things you do like about what your partner does in bed and and how they approach you and and the things that are positive. I mean, that old technique of sandwich a positive with a negative criticism with a positive, never more necessarily, you know, than putting this between the sheets of the positive right, <laughs> right. now, the negative criticism. Well yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it is a task that young couples in early relationships should, should handle. I mean, being able to figure out this how to talk is something that is super important and should be done really within the first year of partnership. You know, but we don't really know that and we don't get any instruction on how to do that. So a lot of times couples get in five, six, 10, 20 years, you know, and they, they don't really have a way and a language to talk about it. 
Well, and I think you're talking about even just the myth of of the the fantasy or the fairy tale of how wonderful the wedding night is going to be. It's not mm-hmm. couples don't have a lot of conversation around how they want it to be specifically. We're yeah. both imagining into it's just going to be amazing. Yeah. And in fact, you hear some of the horror stories about drinking too much or falling asleep or all sorts of things that get sideways on, a, right. on an evening. But that that bespeak, um, but that speaks to the couple being able to have that conversation about their unwritten fantasies and yeah and the wedding night is is also a very symbolic night i mean if you aren't married and you're going through a ceremony i would highly recommend that you talk about what your expectation is for that wedding night i i do see a lot of people for faith reasons or cultural reasons that have not had sex before they get married and oftentimes there is this high expectation of what it's going to you know it's just going to be bliss and either they don't know anything about it or they don't know anything about each other and oftentimes you know, it's a disaster. And more than anything else, people remember the honeymoon story. You know, my husband got sick. You know, he threw up. I was in a nightgown in Jamaica on the on the terrace, and I come in, and my young, handsome husband is puking in the bathroom. And and ironically, she feels rejected. I mean, she mm-hmm. she can't separate out her expectations of the sexual fantasy of the honeymoon from what actually happened. Uh, you know, it's just a virus. Right. Uh, but sometimes those honeymoon memories carry through and they they need to be, you know, sorted through and understood because they carry so much import into our expectations for the rest of our sex life. Right. And that and that sex talk is all part of that. How do we un uh, or distance ourselves from the fairy tale and talk about what it felt like for me, what it felt like for you, what our current hopes and dreams mm-hmm. are for. And and I agree with you earlier about the negative pieces. I think we talked in the first half of the show about how fragile our egos are around this. And I think just taking that one or two things that you really liked from the night before or from last week and saying, hey, you know, that was kind of fun. I really mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Let's have more of that. That's a lot easier to stomach than – you know, the negatives. Mm-hmm. So minimizing those, it, it's strange. The psyche remembers if I tell you 10 wonderful things and one thing I didn't like, the only thing you're going to remember is the one negative thing. And I think we all sort of work like that. We're always picking out the thing that doesn't do. And that's evolutionary as well, but more so when we're talking about what goes on between the sheets. Yeah. So. I, I think couples need to talk about three important parts of their sex life. And the first one would be who initiates? And why and what the expectations are about balance in that. And the second thing, and we can talk about all of these, but the second thing I think they need to talk about what they're going to do in bed. You know, what is the range of sexual acts that they're comfortable with, maybe willing to try, maybe less comfortable with and still willing to try, Mm -hmm. you know, what is totally off limits. And then the, the third thing is how do we talk about it? What language specifically do we use? Because, I mean, we've kind of kidded around and struggled in in this podcast about what you know what language do we use when we describe body parts and sex acts and you know are we going to use technical sort of scientific language or are we going to use more slang and you know what's comfortable here and as we're trying to help people and you know what would be more natural for couples in bed you know sometimes one of them really does feel more comfortable with scientific terms and the other right. uh feels more comfortable with slang or talking dirty and the other one is offended you know, right. maybe we start there. I mean, how how can we help people with language um, learning to kind of match up? Yeah, no, I would agree. I think all of those are absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Um, uh, what, it, it, I, mean, I think I was just thinking it would be fun to do an entire episode just on 
the names for body parts, the yeah. euphemisms, and <laughs> and just for fun. See, we'll just read have people list. call in and give us their names we'll of what they called it when they were little. And not me, but just I mean, we're, I'm always hearing a new name for a, for a, body, <laughs> a part. body part. Yeah, th- through the years. Yeah. So uh, there's a small <laughs> there's a small book to be had in that in and of itself. Yeah. But, but it gets to you know what? How can we talk about this in a way that doesn't offend you um, or Get you defensive or, or shut you down. How or can, shut you down. Yeah. Right. How can we have this conversation that it opens more space so that the conversation flows? And yeah. I think all of those things are important. The timing, the place, whether it's loaded or not, focusing as much as you can on the positive, noting where your wounds are, mm-hmm. um, and then finding terms that you can use that are that are fun and easy for both of you. Right. I had one client who he was he liked kind of slang and dirty talk. It was a combination, and I think those are very different. But um, his wife was was less flexible. She was very anxious, and so she preferred more scientific terms for everything. And, you know, I coached him. I said, you're the one who wants more. So why don't you use kind of don't go as far. Use less of the language that you want um, in the beginning. Kind of match where she's at. And, you know, he, he really resisted me. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm here so that I can have more. And now you're telling me that I'm going to get less. And I'm saying it's a process. I mean, if that's what I do with a a couple in the room. If a couple in the room comes in and they're very prim and they only use sort of scientific terms, that's all I'll say. But if a couple uses euphemisms and pet names and slang and, you know, they say come instead of orgasm, then I'd go ahead and say that. So you meet them right I match them, you know, and I think with a partner – um, if you can, if you can match them, particularly if you're helping to enlarge their world, it's probably best first met with a match and then later even talked about, you know, how do you feel about it when I say this? You know, what what goes through your mind? Does it shut you down? And why does it shut you down? And I think sometimes language can be different at different stages in the sex act. You know, for instance, in the beginning, maybe only romantic language is acceptable, but particularly for women, as they get aroused, their inhibitions drop, and then they might be more open to other kinds of language use, you know, that's more graphic or more, um, you know, even dirty or or more intense. Um, I think that, that can be helpful to know that arousal changes how we hear even words. Right. No, I would agree. Um, as we've been talking uh, throughout both of these segments, I keep thinking, you know, a, a lot of this is very practical, how and when and what language mm-hmm. to use. But what we're getting at underneath this is the process, what's going on be- between the couple while they're having the conversation and mm-hmm. tracking that actively. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot to say, are these words shutting you down? Or it's a lot to say in real time, hey, you know, when you use that word, you know, now I don't even want to be sitting at the table with you. So mm-hmm. tracking your own um, I don't know what the right word is, lay term, but just tracking mm-hmm. your own – the flow of your own conversation in real, ter- real mm-hmm. time is really important when mm-hmm. you're having that conversation. Is this OK having the talk? Do you feel the barriers coming up? I'm feeling embarrassed. How mm-hmm. is this for you? Sort of this mutual check-in that you begin to, to chip away at that wall, um, that taboo wall of not talking about sex is a way of sort of staying engaged as you as you get to the content of what you like and, and don't like, you know. So and, and hard to have that conversation. It is. And I think one thing that resonates with me, Tony, is when you talk about being present in the sex life and I think even being present in the talk, you know what? Talking about sex can be awkward. 
And we don't need to shame ourselves secondarily by saying, oh, but I, sh- I wish I were not awkward or I wish I weren't ashamed of this. I wish I could be this. Forget all that. If you feel awkward, you feel awkward. Right. If you feel embarrassed, you know, that's okay. It's, right. This is not something that we've grown up usually really comfortably talking about. And so, having some mutual empathy for that, that we're going to have a conversation and it – who knows what's going to come up? And being with your partner through that, again, brings you closer together. I have a girlfriend who says, you know, that one of her partners asked her at one point, you know, what do you like? Tell me tell me what to do to you, all this. And she's like – it was a fairly new relationship. And she said, you know, if he had asked me in the bathtub and we'd had a glass of wine – you know, that would have been a way better ask, you know, because I would have been able to tell him. But just point blank, I couldn't. So, you know, I, I would say my tip of the day is, you know, have this talk maybe if you can in a sexy way in the bathtub, glass of wine. You know, if you're not always disrupted over sex, if sex is going pretty smooth just to enhance, you know, then you can make it sexy and and talk about it. That glass yeah. of wine can help. <laughs> oh, that's a great tip, Laurie. Uh, my tip, uh, thinking about talking about sex, is just go slow with it. And remember, it's a very, very sensitive topic. The walls are very big and they run very, very deep. So just a lot of forgiveness and compassion for yourself and for your partner as you fumble through it the first few times. And I promise if you can begin to have these conversations as an ongoing way of being together, it really leads to a whole lot more foreplay and a lot more intimacy. So thank you for joining us today on Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. Thank you. And I'm Lori Watson, sex therapist and author. And I'm psychotherapist Tony Del Medico. We'll see you next time for some more Foreplay. Hey, help us stay on top here at Foreplay. We'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends. And please take one sec and rate and review us. Thanks so much.